0: He, <laughs> old radio listening society a podcast
1: dedicated to suspense crime and horror stories from the golden age of radio i'm eric i'm tim and i'm joshua we love mysterious old time radio stories but do they stand the test of time
2: that's what we're here to find out today we bring you our second failed attempt at a (laughs) valentine's day episode featuring my wife Sadly, once again, she is unable to be here with us, this time due to a last-minute work issue. However, we have decided to be jerks and do the episode without her.
0: Today, we're listening to an episode Joshua picked specifically for
2: his wife, Adrian, an old-time radio valentine, if you will. Adrian, the episode I chose for you is The Cave of Alibaba from Suspense.
1: Suspense aired on CBS Radio from 1942 to 1962, producing 947 episodes in total, most of which still exist today. Hailed as radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense specialized in edge-of-your-seat thrillers, some written especially for radio,
2: others adapted from contemporary and classic literature. The Cave of Alibaba is based on the 1928 short story The Adventurous Exploits of the Cave of Alibaba by Dorothy L. Sayers. The story features Sayers' dilettante detective Lord Peter Wimperer, who just happens to be one of Adrian's favorite literary characters. But I digress. Although best known as a mystery writer, Sayers was also an accomplished poet, playwright, literary critic, theologian, and, as the Cave of Alibaba demonstrates, a futurist as well.
0: The title of this story is a reference to the folktale Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves from the collection One Thousand and One Nights. It tells the story of a woodcutter who discovers a sealed cave filled with stolen treasure. The magic words which open the cave are Open Sesame... The tale has been adapted and referenced hundreds of times in every form of media, from comic books to video games. Even if you've never read the story, you likely know the power of those two magic words.
1: A few months ago, we listened to The Lodger from the CBS program, Forecast. It was presented as a possible pilot for a new series called Suspense. Two years later, in June of 1942, CBS tested Suspense as a summer series of 13 episodes, beginning with an adaptation of the John Dixon Carr novel, The Burning Court. The 10th episode of this first season of Suspense was The Cave of Alibaba,
2: first broadcast August 19th, 1942. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices.
3: The Columbia Network takes pleasure in bringing you Suspense. Play Theater of Outstanding Thrillers, produced and directed by William Spear and scored by Bernard Herman. the notable melodramas from fiction and stage and screen, from the world's great literature of entertaining excitement, presented each week to bring you to the edge of your chair, to keep you in Suspense. Tonight's adventure in suspense is from the pen of Dorothy Sayers. She called it The Cave of Alibaba. Like the tale told by Scheherazade, a distinguished ancestress in the storytelling art, Miss Sayers' thriller deals with 40 thieves and with two magic words. For your uneasy listening, then, suspense presents The Cave of Alibaba. On a Saturday afternoon in January, in a grim and narrow house in Lambeth, a man sat eating kippers and reading the daily paper. He was smallish and spare, with brown hair rather too regularly waved, and a strong brown pointed beard. His double-breasted navy blue suit, his socks, tie, and handkerchief were all scrupulously matched, and his brown boots just a trifle too highly polished. He did not look a gentleman, not even a gentleman's gentleman. Yet there was something about his appearance which suggested that he was accustomed to the manner of life in good families. A superior butler, perhaps, yet not old enough to be retired. A footman who had come into a legacy, yes. He had just finished eating, and he was sipping his coffee when a slight noise at the front door caught his ear. Swiftly, too swiftly for a quiet little man sitting eating kippers and reading his paper on a Saturday afternoon. He sprang up, he dashed through the small hallway and he flung the door open. Of course, no one in sight. The society is at least dramatic in its delivery of its correspondence. And as if he knew what he could find, he shut the door and turned to the hat stand in the hall. An envelope had been placed there. It was addressed to Joseph Rogers. So, Mr. Rogers opened the note. Number 21. An extraordinary general meeting
4: will be held tonight at the house of number one at 11.30. You you will be absent at your peril. The word is
3: finality.
2: Hmm.
3: Finality. Yes, I think so. The man called Joseph Rogers stood for a moment, studying the note... Then he strode to the rear of the house to a tall safe built in the wall. Carefully, he manipulated a dial. He swung the safe door open. He stepped inside into a small strong room. He opened a drawer marked correspondence, placed the note inside, and then came out again. A moment to reset the lock for a new combination, and then he went back into the living room. He reached for the telephone. He lifted it from the cradle and then reconsidered. Too dangerous. He hurried upstairs and clambered into an attic. In the furthest corner, he searched for and found a knothole in the woodwork. He pressed it. A concealed trapdoor swung open and he was in the loft of the adjoining house. He paused before three cages, in each of them a carrier pigeon. Carefully, he wrote a note. Slipped it under a pigeon's wing. There you are, my pretty. There, take it easy now. There. there
4: you go. Fly straight. 430. I'll send another pigeon at five and the third at six. I should have my answer
3: by 9:30 at the latest. Oh, I forgot one thing, most important. Mr. Rogers moved through the trap door back into the attic of his own house, and once again he stood before the tall safe built in the wall. He opened the door, stepped into the strong room, moved for a moment quietly in the dark, and then spoke gently.
4: Now, be good, my sweetheart. I'm depending on you. Open sesame. Come on now, old thing. Open sesame. Open sesame. Ah,
3: that's better.
4: That's very much better.
3: By 9.30, his answer was back. All the little piece of paper said was a hasty okay. At a quarter before 11, he took his revolver from a locked drawer, inspected it carefully... Yes, loaded it with cartridges from an unbroken packet and left the house. He walked quickly, keeping well away from the wall. And when he climbed on a bus, he sat next to the conductor where he could watch all who got on and off. By 25 minutes after 11, he was out on lonely Hampstead Heath, pausing in the shadow of a large tree to adjust a black velvet mask on which, in white thread was stitched the number 21. Then he stepped briskly to the door of the villa that lay before him and...
5: What is it?
4: Finality.
5: Come in. Go right on through. Number one will check you in.
4: Right. 21, sir.
6: Lift your mask. Very well, 21. You may go on to the meeting room. Thank you, sir.
3: The room of the villa in which Mr. Rogers now stood was a large one, a brilliantly lighted room. There was a gramophone in one corner blaring out a jazz tune its rhythm, couples, masked men and women, were dancing. Some were in evening dress, some in tweeds and jumpers. In another corner of the room was the bar. Mr. Rogers went up to it and asked the masked man in charge for a double whiskey. He consumed it slowly, leaning on the bar. The room filled. Presently, someone moved across to the gramophone and stopped it. Mr. Rogers looked around. Number one, the massive gentleman in evening dress who had checked him in, appeared on the threshold. A tall woman in black stood beside him. Her mask, embroidered with a white number two, covered her hair and her face completely. Only her, her fine bearing, her white arms, and her dark eyes, shining through the eye slits, proclaimed her as a woman of power, of physical attraction. The masked dancers were silent now as number one spoke.
6: Ladies and gentlemen, we are short two members tonight. I need not inform you of the disastrous failure of our plan for obtaining the plans of the court Wendelsham Sam Our courageous and devoted friends, number 15 and number 38 are betrayed and taken by the police. Some of you might fear that under examination... ...these two would break down and give away our society. There is no need for such a fear. I gave the usual orders... ...and their tongues have been silenced. Their dependents will be discreetly compensated in the usual manner. I call upon number 12 and 34... ...to undertake this agreeable task... They will attend me at my office for their instructions after the meeting. Will the numbers I have named kindly signify by raising their hands that I are able and willing to perform this duty? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your partners for the next dance.
3: The gramophone struck up again. Mr. Rogers turned to a girl near him in a red dress. She nodded and they slipped into the movement of a foxtrot. The couples gyrated solemnly and in silence. Their shadows were flung against the blinds as they turned and stepped to and fro. The girl in red spoke to Mr. Rogers.
5: What's happened? I'm frightened, aren't you? I feel as if something awful was about to happen.
4: It does take one a bit short. Number one's way of doing things. But it's safer
3: like that.
5: Oh, those poor men. Don't oh. talk
3: talking, please. You know the rules. Sorry. Mm. In silence, the dance continued. And then it came to an end. And then when it had finished, the dancers came again to where number one sat... and waited with tense eagerness for him to speak.
6: Ladies and gentlemen, you may wonder why this extraordinary meeting has been called. The reason is a serious one. The failure of our recent attempt was no accident. The police were not on the premises that night by accident... We have a traitor amongst us. This last failure was not the first. You'll remember the unfortunate way in which the affair of the Dinglewood Pearls turned out. And there were others. However, I am happy to say that our minds can now be easy. All these troubles have been traced to their origin. The offender has been discovered and will be removed. The misguided member who introduced the traitor to our ranks will be placed in a position where his lack of caution... will have no further ill effects. There's no cause for alarm. Uh Ladies and gentlemen, please take your partners for the next dance.
3: Again, the gramophone took up its bizarre monotony... and the masked dancers glided and turned... and their movements were sharper, more staccato... The girl in red was claimed by a tall mask and evening dress. A hand laid on Mr. Rogers' arm made him start. A small, plump woman in a green jumper slipped a cold hand into his. The dance went on. When it stopped, everyone stood detached, stiffened in expectation. The endless interval was over. Number one raised his voice.
6: Ladies and gentlemen, you will no doubt wish to be relieved of the questions on your mind. I will name the persons involved. Number
1: thirty-seven. No, no! Silence! I swear on it,
6: you have failed in discretion. You will be dealt with. If you have anything to say in defense of your folly, I'll hear it later. Sit down.
3: Number thirty-seven sank down upon a chair. He pushed his handkerchief under the mask to wipe his face. Two tall men closed in upon him. The rest fell back.
6: Ladies and gentlemen, I will now name the traitor. Stand forward. Number 21. Take off your mask. Number 37. This man was introduced to our society by you under the name of Joseph Rogers formerly second footman in the service of the Duke of Denver, dismissed for petty thievery. Did you take steps to verify the statement? I did. I did as God my witness. It was
7: all straight. I had him identified by two of the servants. I asked all over about him. The story was
6: true. will swear it was. Number 21. Your name has been given as Joseph Rogers. Is that your real name? Answer me. Is that your real name? No. What
4: is your name? Peter Death, Breden, Whimsey.
7: Silence!
6: My compliments, Your Lordship. We thought Lord Whimsey was dead. He was killed, so the paper said two winters ago while shooting big game in Africa. He even left a will, proved to 500,000 pounds. To his mother, I believe, the Dowager Duchess of Denver. Lord Peter Whimsey, indeed. Well-known book collector, man about town, distinguished criminologist took an active part in the solution of several famous mysteries. Taking an active part, if you don't mind. So you deliberately led us to think you were dead and became Joseph Rogers to gain entrance to our society. What has become of the real Joseph Rogers? He died abroad. I, I took his place. And the end of your impersonation to uncover our society. Precisely. I see. The robbery of your own fet, upon which we congratulated ourselves, and which you helped to execute, was arranged. Obviously. The robbery of the Duchess, your mother, was arranged by you. It was. It was a very ugly tiara. No real loss to anybody with decent taste. The burglary of the Winthrop Mansion, the theft of the necklace at Covent Garden, the others as well. You arranged them all. All. Uh, May I smoke, by the way? You may not. Numbers 15, 22, 39. You have watched the prisoner. Has he made any attempt to communicate with anybody? None. His letters and parcels have been
7: opened. His telephone tapped and his movements followed. Even the water pipes in his house have been
6: under observation for Morse code signals. You're certain? Absolutely. Then we may be sure that he has been alone in this adventure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, please take your...
7: Very well.
6: Take the prisoner away. And be sure you explain carefully to him first the manner of his death. I'm sure he'll enjoy it. Wait, wait, at
4: least you can let me die decently. Take him away. Stop, I have something to say, something to sell.
6: We make no bargains with
4: traitors. No, but listen, do you think I haven't thought of this? I'm not a fool. I've left a letter. To whom?
7: To the police. If I don't return tomorrow, it'll be opened. It's a bluff. The prisoner sent no letter. He's been strictly watched for months. I left the letter before I came to Lambeth. Then it can contain no information of any better.
4: Oh,
6: but it does. The combination of my safe. Indeed? Has this man's safe been searched? Yes. What did it contain?
7: No information of importance, sir. An outline of our organization, the name of the house... Nothing that can't be altered and covered before morning. And did you investigate the inner compartment of the safe? You hear what he says, did you? He's trying to bluff. There is no inner compartment.
4: I hate to contradict you, but I'm really afraid you must have overlooked it. And what did you say was in the compartment, if it does exist? The names of every member of this society with their addresses, photographs, and fingerprints. How
7: did you say you
4: have contrived to get this information? By doing a little detective work on my own. But you've been watched. True. The fingerprints of my watch adorn adorned the first page of the collection. That statement can be proved? Certainly. The name
6: of number... 40, for
7: example,
6: if you mention names here, you will certainly have no hope of mercy. Bring the prisoner to my office, ladies and gentlemen. Take your partners for the next dance.
4: Prove that I know your gang from number one through number 25. Do you want me to prove that I know the others as well?
6: My lord, your story fills me with regret that you are not in fact a member of our society. What courage and industry are valuable in an association like ours? I fear I cannot persuade you. No, I suppose not. Yes? Ask the members kindly to proceed to the supper room. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll not conceal from you the seriousness of the situation. The prisoner has recited to me 25 names and addresses which were thought to be unknown except to their owners and to me. There has been great carelessness. Fingerprints have been obtained. He showed me some photographs of them. He tells me that the book of names and addresses is to be found in the inner compartment of his safe. ...together with certain letters and papers stolen from the houses of members... ...and several objects with fingerprints. I believe he tells the truth. He offers the combination of the safe in exchange for a quick death. I think his offer should be accepted. What is your opinion, ladies and gentlemen? The combination is known already. Fool! This man is Lord Peter Wimsey, a scientist of crime... Do you think he will have forgotten to change the combination? Oh, I say give him the promise. Time's getting short. You agreed? It's a bargain, Wednesday. What is the combination? The word of the combination
4: is unreliability. And the inner door, the inner compartment. In anticipation of the visit of the police,
6: the inner door is open. Good. Number 12 and 36. You will go to the prisoner's house and... Why should
2: That's
7: right. Uh,
6: I agree. Nobody ought to be trusted. Then what, ladies and gentlemen, do you suggest?
5: You go yourself. You're the only one that knows all the names. You go yourself.
6: I second that motion. Is the wish of the meeting, then, that I should go?
5: No. I say no. No, don't go. Number one is our president, the head and soul of our society. If anything should happen to him, where should we be? You've all blundered. We have your carelessness to thank for all this. Do you think we should be safe for five minutes if he were not here to repair your folly? No,
7: there's something in that.
4: If you will pardon my suggesting it, the lady appears to be in a position peculiarly favorable for the reception of the president's confidences. The contents of my modest volume will be no news to her. Why should she not go herself? Because I say she must not.
6: If it is the will of the meeting, I'll go. Give me the key of the house. Here. Is your horse watched? No. If I have not returned in two hours, act for the best to save yourselves. And do what you like with the prisoner. The
5: president has been gone two hours. Traitor! What's happened to him?
4: How should I know? Perhaps he's uh, looked after himself and gone while the going was good. Liar!
5: Oh! He'd never do that. What have you done with him? Speak, or I'll make you
4: speak. Well, I, can, I can only form a guess, madam. I'm afraid that your president may quite inadvertently have left the door of the inner compartment closed behind him, in which case... Yes. Well, let me explain the mechanism of my safe, hmm? The inner compartment has two doors. The outermost most opens outward with an ordinary key. Oh, do you
5: think that the president is so stupid as to be caught in an obvious trap? Undoubtedly, he will have wedged open that inner door. Undoubtedly,
4: madam. But the sole purpose of that inner door is to appear to be the only one. Hidden behind the hinge of that door is another a sliding panel, also left open. Inside the compartment is the big, heavy ledger containing all the information about this society. This ledger lies on a steel shelf. Uh, Do I make myself clear? Yes, 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 go on. The steel shelf is balanced on a concealed spring. When the weight of the book, the ledger, is lifted, the shelf rises almost imperceptibly, and in rising it makes an electrical contact. Now, let me draw a picture. Your president steps into the inner compartment, sees the book, takes it up anxiously to examine to see if it's the right one. The shelf rises, the electrical contact is made, and the steel panel behind him slides into place. He's trapped.
5: You devil! What is the word that opens the inner door? Quick, the word!
4: Do you remember the story of Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves? Uh-huh. Well, when when I had this safe constructed, my mind went back, well, call me sentimental, if you will, to my childhood. The words that open the door are open sesame.
5: How long can a man live in this devil's trap of yours?
4: Oh, I should think he might hold out for a few hours if he didn't use up all the oxygen by hammering and yelling. I imagine if we go there at once, we'll be able to get him out, all right.
5: I'll go myself.
4: I think you'd better take me with you. Why? Well, I'm the only person who can open the door.
5: But you've given me the word.
4: Yes, you have the word. But this door of mine, <laughs> I'm rather proud of it. You know, it's my own invention. It's the la- latest thing. It will open to the words open sesame, all right. But to my voice
5: only. Your voice. I'll chop your voice from my hands. Don't, don't. What do you mean, your voice only? Don't clutch my throat like that. <sighs> uh, you'll wreck
4: my voice and then the door might not recognize it. Ah. Yeah, that's better. The door got stuck for a week once, and when I had a cold.
5: Is what he says true? Is it
7: possible? Perfectly possible, madam. It'll have a microphone arrangement. Could be done also with light vibrations. And we must let him go. Take the ropes off him. Let him go? Nothing. He doesn't go to blab to the police. The president's done in, that's all. And we'd all better make traps while we can. It's all up, boys. Right. Oh. Chuck this fellow down the cellar and fasten him in. I'll go and destroy the ledgers. 32, you know where the switch is. Give us a quarter of an hour to clear, then you can blow the place to glory. No. No, you can't leave
5: one to die. He's your president, your leader. I won't let it happen. I won't. I'll free this man myself. Here, yeah, none of that. No, no. Let
7: me go. Let go of me. Think, uh, Lasker, think. It'll be light in an hour or two. The police may be here at any moment. The police.
5: Oh, yes. Yes, you're right. No, we mustn't imperil the safety of all for just one man. He himself would not wish it. Throw this man in the cellar and let's get out of here while that's time.
7: Uh, here. Uh, this is good enough. Leave him here. Right. Uh, uh, let's go. Hey, you chaps. Yeah? should have gagged him. I see. It's lonesome
4: down here in this cellar. You might at least leave the light on.
7: Don't worry about the dark. They're taking you here is the time choose for the bomb that's going to blow out this place. It's all set. You won't have long to wait. No, not <laughs> long.
3: <laughs> Who is it? Who's there? Shh. Hold still
4: so I can cut the rope. Well, if it isn't, two! My compliments, madam, on your loyalty to your presence. Quick,
5: quick. They've set the time fuse. The house is mined. Follow me as fast as you can. Number one must be saved. And only you can do it. Well, how did you manage to? There, there, there's no time for questions. Get up and follow me. You will release him. You promise? I promise.
4: But I warn you, madam, that this house is surrounded. When my safe uh, door closed, it gave a signal yes. to Scotland Yard. All the members of the society are taken. Uh, never mind them.
7: Here, outside. That you,
4: Inspector? Get your fellows away, quick! The house is going up in a minute.
7: Twyning, Lord Twyning,
4: it's Inspector Parker, old man. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm a bit winded. What's happening, Inspector? Well, oh, about half a dozen of them got blown up. The rest, we bagged.
5: Uh, hurry. We must hurry.
4: Who's this? Oh, one of the gang. She's called number two.
5: We must save him. We must.
4: Golly, I clean forgot the gentleman in the safe. Parker, where's your car? It's down the lane. Send one of your men down to get his rights.
7: Johnson, bring that car here. Yes, sir. I've
4: got the, the number one of the whole company quietly asphyxiating at home. I promised we'd get back and save him. Oh, he's the bloke that we've been wanting. The man at the back of the Morrison case and the Hope Wilmington case and hundreds of others. Is this it? Hmm. Quite a contraption. Yes, I only hope he hasn't upset the adjustment by thumping it.
5: Oh, oh, please, Holly.
4: I hope you haven't hurt my voice. Oh, you sound all right. Uh, I can only be conversational. Come on, old thing. Show us your paces. Open sesame. Open sesame, confound you. Open sesame. Open sesame. Let me see. No, he's not. He lived to stand his
7: trial.
3: And so, all's right with the world, as it always is when Lord Peter Whimsey is involved. The Cave of Alibaba by Dorothy Sayers was the story which gave us tonight's Suspense. Suspense is produced by William Spear. Our guest director for this evening was Robert Louis Sheehan. Tonight's radio drama was written by Peter Lyon and scored by Bernard Herman. Romney Brent was Peter Whimsey, William Moulton played number one, and Ira Gerald, the lady in the case. Others in the cast were Kathleen Cordell, Victor Beecroft, Roland Bottomley, J.W. Austin, William Podmore, Ian Martin, and William Malton. Next Wednesday, suspense will not be heard because of a special all-star Hollywood broadcast which Paramount Pictures will present. Two weeks from tonight, at this time, Columbia will bring you another selected story from the world's great literature of thrills. Another study in... Suspense.
0: of Alibaba from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a Valentine's Day show. (laughs) If you're confused, every year we try to get one of our wives in and we do a Valentine's Day show where they pick an episode and it's all very cute and nice and whatever. And uh, uh, Adrian couldn't make the last one and so we pushed it off and she was supposed to record tonight and Uh, So, uh, you picked this for your wife. I know that you said it's one of her favorite literary characters, Mm -hmm. but go on.
2: Well, yeah, this needs some context. I started out looking for an episode to surprise Adrian with that was an Agatha Christie or Dorothy Sayers adaptation because she's a big fan of early to mid-20th century English mysteries. And I thought, well, there's got to be a really great Golden Age of Radio adaptation of one of their stories. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I quickly discovered that there's a surprising lack of adaptations, despite the fact that these authors were really popular in America at that time. And I wasn't sure why, but then I started listening to a few and I realized Americans are really bad at adapting and understanding really quintessentially British characters. So I went through and listened to some Poirot, uh, which was adapted a couple times during the golden age of radio, and they are terrible. He had his own series and it's just sort of a bumbling... Belgian detective wandering around America with a bad accent. Columbo.
1: Um, <laughs> Columbo. <yeah. laughs>
2: and then I listened to a Campbell's Playhouse adaptation of the murder of Roger Ackroyd with Orson Welles. I got really excited, but Orson Welles destroys it with a truly embarrassing <laughs> take on Poirot. I mean, he sounds like... Cookie Monster doing <laughs> Hercule Poirot <laughs> Z is for cookie <laughs> It's almost unlistenable The script in the production not surprisingly is, is really good and then I got super excited because I found this series I never heard of called Murder Clinic that featured adaptations of great mystery authors. Yeah. What is
1: murder clinic?
2: (laughs) I don't understand the title. (laughs) Yeah. They're only about like, how do
1: they stay in business?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You're going to have to go to the murder clinic for that, sir. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Uh, but there was an adaptation of a Paul Rowe story that featured the mysterious traveler, himself, Maurice Tarplin. And so I listened to that and he was still over the top as Poirot, but subtle compared to Orson Welles. But uh, Poirot tends to, by Americans, be really exaggerated into this like goofball character. So the story had all sorts of weird liberties taken with the adaptation, including the solution involved whether or not someone could have shot themselves using their bare feet to pull the trigger. I was like, I'm done with this. (laughs) Zero sense. So then I listened to a couple Dorothy Sayers adaptations from Suspense, and they were okay. uh, But they didn't really capture what I like about Dorothy Sayers. And finally I listened to this, The Cave of Alibaba from Suspense. Which is not great. (laughs) I'm gonna just say that. But in the context... Of, of what this you were. massive search, this right. was an oasis. And uh, <laughs> because it ticks three important boxes for me. It's a fairly faithful adaptation of the original story. However, that causes some problems. We'll probably discuss that later, how faithful it is. Uh, the character of Lord Peter Whimsey is intact and has not been caricaturized or greatly Americanized. And... Three, the fairly accurate prediction of voice recognition technology makes it extremely interesting from a historical point of view. Mm. So really, I present this episode to you in Mm. the context of a bunch of other episodes I listened to that were much worse, but you guys don't have that context. So (laughs) I'm totally prepared for you to hate this, I guess is what I'm saying. I
0: have a context I have to give. I do as well, but I'll let you go first. Uh, My context is that I, here it goes, you know. People who listen to this podcast, I guess they've already... If they're still listening, they've already forgiven me for being an idiot. So (laughs) I had heard the words Lord Peter Whimsey somewhere in my life before, but... I wasn't 100% sure
1: where I'd heard it. I'm imagining that context. (laughs) Right.
0: And it turns out it wasn't from a fictional novel. Turns out it was a Ron Jeremy movie.
2: No, No, it was not. It does take a lot of liberties (laughs) with the original. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So I had your bare feet. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. So I stopped and went, okay, what's going on? And I learned all sorts of things, that there was this woman that wrote these detective mysteries with this fictional character and read a bunch of stuff. And I was like, oh, I did not know of this existence of this. Um, So it was interesting. He said, at the top of this, he said, oh, it's one of my wife's favorite literary characters. I was like, oh, man, she would have been so mad if she was here today. I'm like, I never heard of this before. Uh, So my context was, I have no idea if this is a faithful to any adaptation. B, don't even think for a second I went and read the short story to make sure it was, because I didn't. So I have no preconceived notion of what this should be like. To me, it's just a story about a guy who uh, infiltrated this society and brought them down. When you get to be older, I get shocked when I find things that I didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. Like, how did that escape me? Especially something that obviously culturally speaking, I should know of her and these writings and how that escaped me is a little embarrassing. Like, but Just, then again,
2: I picked this for my wife, not to shame you. No, I could <laughs> go I, mean, I could go to
0: I could go to a hundred th- <laughs> people and 98 of them would never have heard of Bulldog Drummond.
2: And, or probably uh, Lord Peter Whimsy. I mean, if you're a mystery. enthusiast, That would be a team up. <laughs> well, <yeah>. Shared universe. <laughs> awesome.
0: <laughs> so before I tell you anything, that's where my context okay. is going to come from.
1: So my context, you this may or may it. not ring a bell with you guys. We had a conversation and it is recorded, Wow! but it's not something we ever actually put out. And part of it was I was talking about my background as someone who listens to old radio, different than you guys. I came to it late in the day. I would listen to podcasts and there would just be a smorgasbord of here's like 15 different old radio episodes from different series. And in talking about that, there was one episode that I could not remember the name of it for my life but I remember it was like some masquerade where everyone was a criminal and some guy got trapped in a safe and doesn't ring a bell with anyone. And I start listening to this and this is this episode. I've been hunting for this thing for years and I was so glad that you Will you marry me? (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) We kind of are. But I apparently forgot the two important aspects of suspense in Lord Peter Wimsey, which sort of float to the top now that I'm actually- (laughs) paying attention to it. So you listened to this years
0: ago. Yes. And now, after years of listening uh, to a lot of old-time radio and having much more experience with it, it'll be interesting to hear what you thought of it then- and now, because there are things that I used to love when we started this podcast, yeah. and over the years I have, of doing this, I have come to, oh, that's really not as good as I thought it was. I know I've said it before, CBS Radio Mystery Theater, oh, the more yeah. I learn, the more I go, oh, no, it's not <laughs> great, is it? Uh, but uh, some of it is, so don't write any letters. <laughs> I like some of it still, uh, especially the opening in the door. Okay, so let's start with you, Tim. The first time you listened to it, what'd you
1: think? Oh, I, I loved it. I mean, it's, it's the setup. A Masquerade with criminals and just every little trapping of it was my f- sweet spot of, this is what I love in a, in a scary story. And, you know, the puzzle aspect and it's a trap and at a certain point, I was just so happy I wasn't paying attention to any story or anything. Or the right. character. <laughs> and it's a secret society.
2: Yes. Uh, yeah, I knew I had Tim with the secret society at the very least. Right. Uh, it did remind me of stories like The Suicide Club, The Man Who, like Cream Tarts from Escape, was based on that by Robert Louis Stevenson, yes, yeah. or the, the Man Who Was Thursday by G.K. Chesterton.
0: When I did my reading about Lord Whimsy, it, it dawned on me how closely related Richard Hannay... James Bond, Bulldog Drummond, The Shadow, how closely related they all are as fictional characters Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Gadabout town, you know, that (laughs) solves crimes. And if you know the 39 steps in the Richard Hannay novels that inspired Bulldog Drummond, Mm -hmm. uh, which inspired Fleming to write James Bond, and they're all very closely connected, and they're all very similar types of Mm -hmm. heroes and men. Mm -hmm. Solving mysteries kind of as a hobby, yep. (laughs) you know, and I'm going to say it wrong. Perot Mm -hmm. also has,
2: he's a professional.
0: Yeah, I know. But it also has that element to him that he could do other things in his life but he chooses to do this because it's fun. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it doesn't come off as, uh It's I, not I hard-boiled stuff. I've mentioned Rockford Files before in this podcast, but, you know, Jim Rockford does not want to go to work. He wants to go <laughs> fishing, and his job is, uh, okay, let's get this over with as soon as possible. So that has that element, too, of just how much fun they're having being detectives or whatever, crime mm. fighter solvers.
2: And this is a fairly early short story by Sayers and... She added a lot more depth and complexity to Peter Whimsy's character. And the irony of this choice, as long as we're sharing our context, I did on my drive over here talk briefly to my wife, who finally revealed her opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask. In lieu of her appearance. The irony is I chose a very faithful adaptation of a Lord Peter Wimsey story that she does not like, <laughs> and truthfully, it's an outlier. This story did
0: um, she write mostly short stories or novels, or people? mostly novels? Of okay,
2: Peter Wimsey, because yeah. this is a short story. A short story, it's about thirty some pages.
0: You just said it, but I just want to make sure it's it's true to the original.
2: Yes, it's very true. I mean, it leaves out some details. It's a longer short story, and they can't pack it all in as much sure. as they try, but. Essentially, Adrian thought the story, the original short story, was a little unbelievable and relies on too many things that could go terribly wrong. And she thought it felt out of character for what she knows of Whimsy, having read all the novels Mm -hmm. uh, throughout his entire uh, (laughs) fictional life. And it is true. So many times this could have gone wrong and he could have been (laughs) murdered and it was all just for some thieving. It wasn't a murder spree he was trying to prevent.
0: This short story creates a huge amount of problems for fans in the canon of Whimsy because apparently this short story he disappears uh, in the short story in Africa I believe uh, and pretends to be dead yep. to come back to the society um, to solve this and there's no mention of that ever again.
2: That's what Adrian was saying. She was saying uh, that would destroy his mother if he picked his death. Right. Um, if He's a lord. It would be a huge thing in the news so she had a hard time believing that he could even... Fake his death So it's a She real... had some real Nerd objections though. I'm sorry honey If you're listening Takes one to know one
0: <laughs> But it is a real Outlier From mm-hmm. what I understand it From the canon Of how this Fictional character Operates And there are people That dismiss it And just try to ignore it
1: Because it just Doesn't fit so it's a weird one to pick. they like start an online petition to mm-hmm. have someone rewrite this story to yes. fit better into- <laughs>
2: Yes. That's because I, I got time for that. <laughs> I think someone read this story and honestly heard that voice-activated lock and thought, oh, it's voice-activated. That's great for radio.
0: I think it's interesting you brought that up in your three points at the beginning because that was my main point that I wrote down is how cool that they – what year was this? The original story was 1928. That's pretty cool, considering we pretty much do that now. And, just like now, I didn't...
2: S- I <laughs> A- Open sesame. sesame. And he had to say it three or four times. Stupid spell yeah. check? That's not what I'm saying. It's like that's all not of us in I'm the saying. early 2000s with our bones yelling it's at It's
1: always it. when you have to say it angrily and loudly. <laughs> okay, that's, that's the one that works. Yeah. Right, right.
0: <laughs> I love that it's just not quite... A hundred percent, just is like everything.
2: very insightful to it know that insightful. the voice activation would have to exactly mm-hmm. duplicate the original voice print. So you listened to it the
1: second time. Did you like it as much? Oh, yeah. I, I can't have an objective opinion just because it, it is for me like, it's that episode I never thought I'd find again. Right, right. <laughs> so you're just happy
0: to hear it again. So from my perspective mm-hmm. then, as I mentioned 60, 70 minutes ago, uh, I just don't have any opinion of any of this, so I'm just listening to this. And I thought it was really cool. I love the idea of a secret society, and they're all wearing masks, and they all have numbers. I love the infiltration, the discovery of who it is. I loved
2: the narration at the top. The dialogue is almost straight from the short story, all the narration.
0: Going into the safe, going into the secret thing that goes to the next house to send off a thing to a carrier pigeon. I wonder where that went. It came back with the words, okay. He says, open Sesame three times. Oh, stupid thing won't work. I said, call Tim. (laughs) All of that I really liked. I did have my moments, though, where I was like, what? is going on and the worst one was
2: the dancing <laughs> the dancing I love the, the dancing that was Adrian's favorite part of it mine too
0: <laughs> why are they stopping everything and then going back to dancing it's What is psychological
2: warfare it's scary as hell It's like <laughs> you I'm going speak but yeah. you must dance <laughs> you must dance and we must continue as if I'm not going <sighs> to reveal this person who is a traitor and that someone's going to die tonight keep dancing but don't talk it's weird. But that is, that is the point. Because it's weird? I think it's a psychological tactic on the part of number one. He's keeping them Riker. frightened and in line. Yeah. But I also
1: assume that even when they're, they get together and they are not have someone to kill, they just get together and quietly dance with each other and then go home. <laughs> this
0: is my question. Is this how this meeting always goes? That they just quietly
2: dance in masks and then... This is a very and then special- announce how much money
0: they've raised. This is a-
2: <laughs> I think this is an, an unexpected meeting, and it's was- designed to look like a masquerade, yeah. and that he was using a tactic to sort of increase the fear in the room. Why? Just to show his control? Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, I'll buy that. It wasn't as straightforward to me as to why that was happening, but... Now that you explain it, it's awesome. Okay. (laughs) Just because Adrian's listening and I don't want to get into it with her. (laughs) I'm sure she's driving over right now.
2: (laughs) Enraged. (laughs) But other than that, it's a little convoluted. Oh, yes. Oh, it's crazy convoluted. I think that's the fun, but you do have to divorce it from reality to a certain extent. Uh,
0: He had all their names, fingerprints and all that, so he... Could well, have just given that point to the police. Is he
2: wants to get number
0: one. Okay, Eric Time. Here we go. What blew up? <laughs> number one's house
2: where they were dancing.
0: They were in he was in the basement of that house. Yep. Yes. And then number two comes and releases
2: him. Because she's clearly either uh number one's lover or wife. Correct. That's what I figured out. But why is she releasing him? Because it's his voice is the only one that can open that. Safe so they before number blow... one runs out of oxygen. Why
0: did he put a bomb in his own house to blow up his own house to kill him?
1: He's
2: some criminal mastermind who covers every possible uh, contingency so that this is like James a... Bond level villainy and it would destroy all evidence that was in that Thank house. You. I'll take that. Um, and the other society members don't care if number one dies because he knows all their identities and that makes things easier on them. He's but the only I'm... one other than whimsy now who knows but a bunch of them of died in that explosion right no they all got out they no, said they, they said i think half a dozen died in the explosion
0: yeah huh? so if they all know the bomb's down there why aren't they leaving the house
1: the- it's another part of of the story that i appreciated was that they initially described the scene as all this finery formal dancing and then you hear their voices and they sound
2: like they've just been shoveled up out of an alley <laughs> yeah i think that's a production issue the rhubarb, the murmuring is pretty poor in yeah. the background because it does sound like a bunch of people going, murmur, 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 <laughs> There's
0: a great moment that uh, I don't think it was on purpose or in the script. Oh, where, little dribble? Yeah, he says, <laughs> we've lost two of our members. Mm-hmm. And you hear just one of them go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> did you catch that? <laughs> I did not. One in the crowd just went, oh. Mm. <laughs> and I, I could just see the director going, ah, stop ad-libbing. So then, here's my next question. What is it that the society does?
2: They steal stuff. That's the whole reason for Peter Whimsy to break in. They're thieves. They're thieves. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. And so
1: he had a whole little list of here's things that I helped you steal. That's right. Which were all like,
2: these are not real things. They are interested in servants of rich people. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the members are connected to or former. Butlers and servants oh. who know their way
0: cool. in. See, I like that. Uh, when he's saved and he's not dead, and they get there just in time, open sesame third time. <laughs> he gets out only to go to jail, right? Mm-hmm. So she saved his life, but not for much. Mm, love. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> right. No, I think he might have this- been better off dying. He's going to jail for a long time. So his wife, lover, whatever she is, that's a tough choice for her to make. Mm -hmm.
2: She wasn't thinking of him. No. She's a monster. (laughs) (laughs) I think the structure of the story is a little anticlimactic, for suspense. There's cool ideas. It's not a very suspenseful story. I was going to bring that up, that suspense
0: is still trying to find its feet at this point. And
2: it's And its identity. At the top, it seems to suggest that at this point in suspense's history, they are exclusively adapting plays and books and movies. It says right. that they are the source for adventure from the world of thrilling literature. Right.
0: Overall, it had a lot of promise. Uh, as a story, but it wasn't great. It <laughs>
2: had <laughs> yeah, some great Lord Peter Whimsy lines that I, I just enjoy the character. I love when he's talking about the robbery of his own mother that he has arranged to happen. I, presumably that's what helped prove himself to the society. And he has the great line about, uh, it was an ugly tiara, no real loss to anyone with decent taste. And, you know, <laughs> it's just that playing it cool character that's always right. fun. And the guy's ranting at him and he goes, May I smoke? No! <laughs> Again, Hannay, Bond
0: Drummond yeah. mm-hmm. Shadow. That same cool, calm, collected uh,
2: English mm-hmm. approach yeah. <laughs> to everything. I think the problem with this as a story to adapt for audio is that it relies on so much. Narration And part of the charm in the story is the way Dorothy Sayers writes that exposition. And they try to capture a lot of her voice by using the narrator so much, like almost 10 full minutes of narration at the top. Mm-hmm. But still, as a radio drama, it feels really static. Right. And it is hard to follow because you're being told what has happened and having technology explained to you in a confusing way yes. and it literally at one point whimsy has to say well, let me draw you a picture and if you're <laughs> writing a radio show that requires a picture <laughs> to be understood you right. might be an adaptation should issue. have just
0: been sound effects of him scribbling
2: Yeah, got it
0: <laughs> and then that's over here and then get it now uh, and I do like the imagery of the contraption, and when you pull the thing off the shelf, it just rises slightly enough to make an electrical connection
2: to screw you over. <laughs> make the door close unless you yeah. have like an Indiana Jones bag of sand. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't go anywhere without a little bag of sand since that movie. <laughs> I love the little two-part thing of at the beginning, his elaborate oh, I'll make a phone call. no. I'll go and go through the trapdoor and send a carrier pigeon, and it seems so overblown, and then you listen to mm-hmm. everything they did to keep track of him, of, like, right. we listened to his water pipes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then you go,
2: oh, that's why the <laughs> over-the-top carrier pigeon. <laughs> yeah.
0: And he was aware of it. Yes. All right. Any other thoughts, or should we vote?
1: Let's vote. Tim, you have to go first. Okay. This probably isn't a classic for some of the critical things we said about its structure. It doesn't necessarily adapt to radio as well as it serves as a short story. Um, But I think it stands the test of time really well. It's a really standout episode of early suspense days, I think. And just personally, I love it so much. (laughs)
0: I will say uh, not a classic and barely stands the test of time. I thought it was interesting. There's a lot of great premise to it, uh, some great moments. And I like A Secret Society, but uh, overall it felt a little flat. And I think Joshua said it best. It's not like this wonderful uh, ending where you're like, aha, I feel satisfied and I didn't understand it's just the dance. him struggling
2: to say open sesame three times. <laughs> right. <and then> it's <laughs> over. That's the twist. Yeah.
0: And I just pretended to understand the dancing thing so you guys would shut up, but I still don't get the dancing thing.
2: <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's definitely not a classic. In some ways, it doesn't stand the test of time because it feels a little rickety, but in other ways, like I said, historically... Really interesting with that voice recognition technology. And um, we'll put a link in the show notes, but there's a very interesting blog uh, written in the last couple years about this from a guy who spent 30 years in the acoustics industry and crediting her with inventing voice recognition. recognition. Not how it works, but just the concept of it. Cool. And in the book, it describes in more detail... How she imagined this working and kind of working on gramophone technology of wow. the time. Wow. Um, so, that I think is just terribly interesting. And it is the maybe the only Golden Age radio appearance of Lord Peter Whimsey. And for that, it's historically interesting. And it was just fun to listen to. Adrian, I hope you liked it okay. Happy <laughs>
1: Valentine's Day. <laughs> Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find a bunch of other episodes there. You'll also find different ways to get a hold of us. You can link to social media. You can make comments on episodes. You can vote in polls. You can also just send us a message. What episode would you think Joshua should have sent his wife?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and help support me and my wife. <laughs> we would really appreciate the donation right now. Um, you can also go to iTunes and write a review. We love those, too.
0: We also do live recreations of old-time radio shows and sometimes... Uh, original work and uh, here in march of 2020 uh, we are still and will be for a while at park square theater in saint paul on a monthly basis you can go to mysterious old radio listening to see the schedule that is of course finding out just where this whole corona thing is taking us <laughs> and how many shows we actually end up doing So I'm not going to predict that. (laughs) No, no, no.
2: (laughs) It's going to be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Just stay inside and listen to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) What's coming up next? Uh, Next, we are going to do a listener request—an episode of Nightfall called "Where Do We Go From Here." Until then,
7: look out!
5: I just drove over here to say,
2: Eric, the dance is harrowing and fascinating. You're wrong.